We have with us today, of course, uh, the Undersecretary of State for Political Affairs, R. Nicholas Burns. Uh, Secretary Burns will uh, make some opening remarks and uh, to take your questions. And as always, if you could uh, state your names and your news organizations before asking your questions, it would be greatly appreciated. Secretary, Good. welcome back to Berlin. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Nice to see everyone. I'm sorry I kept some of you waiting, or all of you waiting. I was just on the phone with the president of Serbia, so I had to take that phone call first. Um, but I'm here in Berlin. Just arrived um, from Washington. Uh, we have meetings of the G8 tomorrow to prepare for the um, G8 summit in June at Heiligen Dam. Um, and so we'll be together tomorrow to talk about all the political issues to prepare for that summit, and that would include Iran and Iraq and North Korea and the Middle East peace process and Sudan and uh, Kosovo and all those major issues that I'd be happy to discuss with you. I'm also here to meet on Iran specifically uh, under German leadership um, with the Russians uh, and the Chinese by speakerphone uh, tomorrow. Where we'll be consulting on our latest offer to the Iranians to come to the negotiating table on the nuclear issue. And this, of course, follows in the wake of Secretary Rice's trip to Sharm el-Sheikh last week where she attempted to have some discussions uh, with the Iranian leadership and where um, we did, of course, have some discussions on the Iraq issue. So it's a very active time in our diplomacy. I just wanted to start, you won't get a speech from me, but just wanted to start very briefly um, to say first and foremost, I think uh, U.S.-German relations are excellent. I have, um, I've been a long-time observer of them and participant in, of them. I was uh, in NATO between 2001 and 2005, and so I remember when they weren't so excellent. Uh, they are now in excellent shape, and uh, we're very grateful for the working relationship we have with Chancellor Merkel, with Foreign Minister Steinmeier, uh, certainly with uh, Mr. Silverberg, Michael Schaefer, on down. Uh, and on most issues that you can name, we are uh, working very closely with Germany. I just named two. Our, our strongest partner on Kosovo has been Germany. And the United States and Germany have been working together. In fact, we're the ones who produced the framework of the current resolution that's going to be introduced in the next day or two uh, in New York at the Security Council. Germany and the United States have put the elements of that resolution together. And Michael Schaefer and I gave those elements to the Russian Deputy Foreign Minister in London last Thursday. So throughout the last two years, our closest partner has been Germany uh, on the issue of Kosovo. On Iran, on Iran nuclear, again, Germany is one of our key partners. We uh, are talking to them, the German government, nearly every day. Uh, tomorrow's meeting uh, will be the second meeting in a week that I've had with the German government, uh, as well as the Russian, Chinese, French, and British governments on this nuclear issue concerning the Iranian government. So our our bilateral relationship is um, is in excellent shape. We're grateful for that. We understand that Germany is the leading European country that Germany uh, has uh, a degree of influence that is unmatched by any other European country. And so we obviously want to maintain this excellent working relationship, and I think we shall. On Kosovo, uh, this is going to be the subject of a lot of discussions uh, today and tomorrow here in Berlin. Um, and I just spoke with President Tadic uh, just very respectfully. Uh, we, we speak from time to time to let him know how we're proceeding and I did say that we would uh, we would be proceeding, and I'll call Prime Minister Kostunica tomorrow, uh, and I'll tell him the same. We'll, we'll be proceeding in New York. We strongly support the Atasari plan. We think there is now majority support in the Security Council for that plan. In fact, very strong support for that plan. 
they had a first, the ambassadors in New York had a first uh, substantive meeting yesterday, a full discussion of the issues. I think there'll be more in the next day or two. And we'll work very closely with Britain and France and Germany and the other countries to put forward a resolution uh, in the coming days that will lead, we hope, to a vote this month and to the independence of Kosovo. Um, we think this process is inevitable. We also think that the best way forward is to make a firm and clear decision uh, because that is the best way to assure the majority population, the 95% of the population that are Kosovar Albanian, um, that we recognize that they have made the necessary reforms over the last eight years since the end of the war in June 1999 uh, that would merit them becoming an independent state with an independent government. And we know this is a difficult issue for Serbia. Uh, we want to maintain very good relations with Serbia. I think you'll see us pressing for protections of the minority rights of Serbs in the resolution and making sure that the United Nations and the EU and NATO are all focused on the issue of Serb minority rights because that's very important that the future Kosovo be one where Serbs can live freely, where their churches and historic sites and monasteries are protected from uh, any kind of threat. So we'll be pressing forward on that. On the issue of Iran, we are... Um, uh, we hope the Iranian government will understand that it has a choice now. And that choice is to negotiate with the Perm 5 countries in Germany on, on the nuclear weapons issue. We made an offer 11 months ago in Vienna, the Perm 5 in Germany. Iran said no to that offer. We now have put that offer back onto the table. Javier Solana has been asked by the six of us to represent us in talks with uh, Ali, Ali Larajani and those talks will be continuing uh, in the coming, uh, at, at some point in the next week or two. I don't, I don't think they've been announced yet, the date and time and location. But we hope the Iranian government will reconsider. We hope they'll agree to meet us halfway. We have agreed that we would suspend our sanctions in the Security Council for the life of any negotiations. We would ask Iran to suspend its enrichment programs at Natanz. But clearly negotiations are preferable to confrontation. We seek peaceful discourse, not confrontation. But Iran is rather isolated these days. When you have Germany, France, Britain, the United States, China, and Russia all together on one proposal, wishing to negotiate, and when you have South Africa, Indonesia, India, Brazil, Egypt, all having voted in the Security Council or the IAEA to urge Iran to seek these negotiations, uh, Iran should listen not just to the Perm 5 in Germany, but also to the leading non-aligned countries of the world, and they ought to come to the negotiating table. So we'll be talking about that tomorrow here in Berlin under German leadership. And, uh, oh, stranger, we'll be, <laughs> we'll be talking to them about that. And um, you all know Assistant Secretary Dan Fried, who's just come in on the trail from Bucharest. Uh, joining me here for talks in Berlin. But we, this, this is a critical time for Iran. If you think about it, Iran is supported. Who supports Iran? Syria does. Venezuela does. Belarus and Cuba. That's about it. Every other leading country in the world has said, please sit down with these six countries and negotiate. And so we don't want to give up on negotiations. We want Iran to sit down with us. Secretary Rice said, just uh, Monday, 
She said if Iran would sit down at the negotiating table, suspend its enrichment program, sit down and negotiate, she would be there and she would be available to talk about any issue with the Iranian government. So that surely is the right way forward. We don't seek confrontation and we think it can and should be avoided. So Kosovo, Iran are big issues. Darfur is a major issue for those of us in the Security Council. And we're asking the Sudanese government, asking the Sudanese government to allow our United Nations and African Union peacekeeping force to go into Darfur to protect the civilians. There were more attacks on civilians in Darfur over the weekend, more attacks on the women and children there. And so we think in our government it's time to act. We want to see the, uh, this process go forward, and we want to see the um, Sudanese government be willing to work with the United Nations. We think Ban Ki-moon has done an excellent job of leading the international community. There are lots of issues. There's relations with Russia. There's missile defense. There's the future of the Serb government, uh, which right now is under some question because of the return of the radicals. There are a lot of issues to discuss, and I just wanted to put them on the table and say that I'd be happy to talk to you about them. Yes and yes. Uh, on the timeline issue, we've made a strategic judgment, and we've, we thought, we sat and thought about the future of Kosovo, and it's it's clear to us that a prolonged delay in granting uh, or seeing the way forward towards independence in Kosovo is more likely to produce instability and violence than a clear decision uh, this spring. And so uh, the United States supports the Atasari plan, supports independence for Kosovo, supports a clear decision by the Security Council, we hope this month, the month of May, that will lead towards the independence of Kosovo. Now, I want to choose my words carefully, lead towards. The resolution that we are drafting with Germany, France, Britain, and others uh, is not going to proclaim that Kosovo is an independent state. We don't believe the Security Council has that kind of legal power. It will, it will, though, however, do a couple of things. It will, and by necessity must, in effect end the uh, impact of Resolution 1244 from June 1999 and the institutions that that created, specifically UNMIC, the United Nations uh, Mission in Kosovo. It will ask the European Union to become the lead agency to go in, as Judy wrote about in this morning's newspaper, which I read in the plane. Well, it's free advertising. Um, it will ask the European Union to play the lead civil role <coughs> in implementing the necessary reforms that need to be carried out, specifically protection of minority rights. And it will ask, and, and it will encourage, of course, NATO uh, to continue to provide security because there won't be an army in Kosovo, a national army. Uh, and, and NATO will continue, as it has for eight years, to provide the border security and the internal security and to provide for internal peace. That will, the passage of such a resolution would then allow Kosovo, the authorities in Pristina, the government there, President Sechu and Prime Minister Ceku, to, and I will be seeing them on Friday in uh, Croatia, in Zagreb, it will allow them to then proclaim their independence. And those of us who support this will then recognize that bilaterally. That's the legal way forward. I, just do, I wanted to point that out. But I think the process has a great deal of momentum. We already have majority, a strong majority support 
among the 15 members. Uh, we are trying to work with Russia. I met Deputy Foreign Minister Titov in London for a few hours last Thursday morning. Michael Schaefer and I and others met him together, uh, and we urged him to work with us. Now, the second question you ask is, well, are there new elements of this that I could talk about? Yes, there is. I think the Russians have been very clear that um, the Russian government, that they would like to see some kind of mechanism by which Serb refugees could be um, assisted because there are a tremendous number of Serbs who have left Kosovo. And we agree, and I think we'll agree to add an element to the Security Council resolution that would ask for the creation of, a, uh, of, a, of, a, of an independent envoy who would be charged with, um, I shouldn't say independent, because I guess that person would work in the international mission, but an envoy uh, who will be charged with trying to help encourage Serb refugees to stay or to come back or those Serbs who live in Kosovo to stay. So that was a very, I think, attractive idea put forward by Russia. We support it. We want to work with Russia. We are reaching out to the Russian government. I know Secretary Rice will be in Moscow with Dan Fried next week, and I know she looks forward to discussing this issue with the Russian leadership. I would say, can I just say one more thing? I apologize. I think that Judy's piece was excellent, but she gave too little credit to NATO. She gave too little credit to the job that NATO has done for the last eight years. My only criticism. You have a right to reply. <laughs> I do. <laughs> this is a long story between us. Yes. It is not possible to, to apply conditions um, to this independent status Kosovo then will have. Well, uh, Matiatasari has called for a period of supervised independence, and that, that means that the European Union will play a civil role and NATO will play a military role, and the Kosovar authorities have agreed to this. Um, it does mean that we will expect the Kosovar authorities to continue the process of um, meeting the standards that all of us have been talking about for many, many years. Standards meaning how should minorities be treated? How should electoral reforms be carried out? Administrative reforms, issues of governance, issues of corruption. Um, that doesn't stop. When Kosovo becomes an independent state, we will all expect as friends of Kosovo, the governing authorities, to meet those standards that the United Nations established many years ago. So I think you'll see a process. Of, and then one of the key questions will be, when does the period of supervised independence conclude? And that's a subject that the Security Council will likely want to uh, comment on, but that is an evolution. So we'll have to see where that goes in New York. Alexander, um, could you elaborate a little bit more on the ongoing radicalization uh, among the Serbs that we have now, uh, Parliament Speaker uh, Nikolic, um, who is quite an ultra-nationalist, Do you worry that there will be another riot going on uh, if Kosovo's on the way to independence? Well, first, um, I want to say that I think it's it's proper that we uh, not uh, involve ourselves in Serb politics. This is for the Serb people to decide and the political leaders to decide. So I won't comment specifically on Serb politics or what may happen over the next few days because I know they're in a process of trying to form a government over the next several days. 
And I will be calling Prime Minister Kucinich tomorrow just to, to talk about a variety of issues, including Kosovo. But I think all of us were, well, I think we in our government were very disappointed at the uh, reemergence of the radicals. Uh, this is the party of Milosevic. This is the party that took Serbia backwards in the 1990s and into destruction, into warfare, four wars. And as Ali Ren said yesterday, I think Ali put it very well, and I, I would certainly associate myself with his remarks, Serbia has a choice. Serbia can go back to the failed policies, the disastrous policies of the 1990s that led to so much bloodshed and turmoil, or it can move forward. And, you know, the EU and NATO have reached out to Serbia to say, we want you to be aligned with us. NATO took the decision uh, just last autumn that we would bring Serbia into the partnership for peace. And we in the United States have said very clearly that when a democratic Serbia is fully reformed, we would like them to become candidate members for NATO in the future. I know the European Union has said the same thing, but they have to meet the conditions, and that's, that is reform. And it seems to us that um, Serbia ought to want to be aligning itself with the European mainstream, which is democratic, hu values concerning human rights. War criminals are not allowed to roam freely in the country, but are sent to the Hague for prosecution, as normal countries have done, as Croatia has done, by the way, a neighbor of Serbia. So we were disappointed to see the reemergence of the radicals. Uh, these, are, these are people who brought Serbia great ruin and international discredit in the 1990s. We would hope that Serbia could face forward in a more democratic way in the future. Thank you. Um, can Welcome. I just go back to um, the timetable? So you're confirming that the U.S. will present um, a draft maybe done, a, a security council resolution this month. Yeah, I, I didn't say the U.S. Uh, we, no, we, we, the yeah, United yeah. States and Europe and, and together. And, yeah. and you'd have to get Russia on board, but... Europe and the United States. Maybe what I should happens, lead with Europe. What happens if, if Russia, if Russia abstains, that's a different matter. But are you confident you would get it through by the end of the month? And then the, you mentioned the key word bilateral. Then countries can bilaterally recognize yes. independence. Bilateral. Yeah, I think it's a common, it's, 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 uh, it's an understandable, it's, there's an assumption among a lot of people that somehow the UN Security Council is going to proclaim the independence. It, none of us believe the Security Council has that legal right. So what we undo June 1999 and the international structure is set up, we prepare the way forward for the new international cooperation, and then each country is, takes the decision that, that the country wants to take, and my country has already said we will recognize an independent Kosovo. As soon as the but say, yes. say Russia vetoes it or abstains? You know, I learned a spokesman 10 years ago when I was spokesman of the State Department, Judy, never answer a hypothetical question. So what I would like to say, no, but it's a serious question. Um, Russia should be part of the process of building a peaceful Balkans. Russia should want to orient Kosovo along with Bosnia and Croatia and Macedonia and Albania and hopefully Serbia towards the EU, towards NATO. One of the points that the European countries have been making very effectively, and I think you've seen really strong European leadership on Kosovo over the last month or so is, and we make it, we Americans, in conjunction with Europe. Who has been there for eight years? Who's been on the ground in Kosovo? It's been Germany and Italy and France and Spain and Britain and Romania and Bulgaria, all the countries, and us. Our soldiers, our money, our political support. 
And I think I find in, in my international conversations that a lot of countries outside of Europe on the Security Council are saying, you know, this really is a European issue. And if anyone should try to disrupt this process, well, which countries will have to assume the responsibility of a chaotic future? We will. You will. It's Europe and the United States. We're the ones on the ground. And so we think we have a right to put forward a clear view. I think Europe has done that, the United States as well. And um, we ask Russia to work with us, and we have a very open mind. We, I told Deputy Foreign Minister Titov last week, we're flexible. The elements that we've put forward are not set in stone. If you have some ideas, give them to us. And they gave us the idea of an envoy who would be dedicated to refugee affairs. We said, that's a good idea. So if the Russians have other good ideas, I think all of us would want to receive them. So this is very much a process that's going to have to evolve over the next two to three to four weeks. But we're open to Russian suggestions. We just would like the Russians to be with us in the end. We have, unfortunately, time for only two more questions, Hun, and then... I have actually a question towards Iran and uh, North Korea, but Andrew, I think there's another question towards Kosovo. So okay, we really only have time for two more, so... I'll be, very, I'll be more brief than I've been. You, you've, you've covered the ground pretty effectively. I'm, I'm from Time Magazine, Andrew Purvis. I, I, um, the, the question of Russia's concerns over the Addis Ababa plan, are they, you're essentially saying that this idea of an envoy on served minorities, um, served minorities is not allaying their major concerns. I can't speak for the Russian government. Uh, no, I think Russia has other concerns, but I, all I'm saying is the Russians contributed a very useful, productive idea. We're in favor of it. We've told the Russians that. And uh, I would urge the Russians to come with similar other ideas, and I, I hope they will. Most of the action will be in New York uh, at the Council with our ambassadors, and, but we'll continue our talks in capitals, and Secretary Rice will want to, of course, address this issue in Moscow next week. But, I, you know, the Russians have to make their own decision, but I see the momentum now. The momentum is towards independence, uh, very clearly. And I think Europe has done an excellent job of, of leading this international debate. Concerning North Korea, has there been any significant new development uh, after the, uh, this, the financial issue was resolved with Franco? Delta Asia, uh, the 25 million ending up in Bank of China account, but then the last thing we heard about was that nobody touched it and that the work at the nuclear reactor, nothing is happening there either, but I'm sure you know more about this. And the second question is towards Iran. Uh, your assessment is that, uh, to quote you, that, that Tehran is pretty much isolated. Mm. Um, we made a convincing argument there, but on the other hand, of course, if you see that when it's a member of the European Union or companies on the member of the European Union, an Austrian company is, has signed a deal, $3.5 billion with the Iranian government, and there are, of course, other deals in the pipeline with other countries. I wonder if there's not uh, mixed signals being sent, uh, which might uh, live in, in Tehran to the assessment that they can lean back very comfortably as long as... Uh, the dollars are rolling in, or the euros, or whatever. And what makes you so convinced that this is now not only the critical time that the Iranians might be ready to move, or is this is this a mere expectation? Well, in the first question, we, we're continuing to work on the North Korea issue. I know that there's continued work by the Treasury Department of the United States and, and by Ambassador Chris Hill to finalize the financial arrangements concerning Banco Delta Asia, and we're confident that can happen. And, you know, the February agreement, in our view, is a very good agreement. 
It's multilateral, six-party talks. It will lead to the dismantlement of the North Korea nuclear program. That is in everyone's interest. And so you, we will continue to place a lot of priority and energy on pushing forward with China and Russia, Japan and South Korea, and the North Koreans to complete this arrangement. On Iran, um, I think Iran has miscalculated. The Iranians um, are beginning to see that the pressure from the Security Council, we now have two Chapter 7 resolutions. We now have sanctions on the, on the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps Command. We have sanctions on Bank SEPA, the fourth leading bank, international UN sanctions, the fourth leading bank of Iran. Sanctions on individuals in the nuclear and ballistic missile industry. We have European banks beginning to shut down lending to Iran. We have European governments diminishing the level of export credits, they tell us, the European governments. They are diminishing them that were as high as $22 billion in total in the year 2005. So I think the momentum here is towards greater pressure and sanctions, economic pressure on Iran, should they not come to the negotiating table. And again, like Serbia, what we've very consciously done, we, the Europeans, Americans, China, and Russia, is say, you've got two paths, Iran. We prefer the negotiating path. And if you'd agree with Solana over the next few weeks, if Iran will agree to this dual suspension, the mutual suspension. So we give something up and Iran does. We will be at the negotiating table and we'll have a way to discuss this problem and from an American perspective, any issue. If Iran doesn't say yes to negotiations and continues, and they're now after 1,300 centrifuges in the cascade that they've strung together at the planet Natanz, then they're going to find a third Security Council resolution in the month of June a third Chapter 7 resolution, they'll find, I think more importantly, I'll bet in Japan and in Europe further efforts to, as the EU has done, reduce economic and political contacts with the Iranian government. On the question of the Austrian oil and gas investment, we think it's it's, uh, ill-advised. We recommend against it. This is no time for business as usual with a government that's the leading supporter of the four major Middle East terrorist groups, Iran is, and a government, Iran, that we think is trying to achieve a nuclear weapons capability, and there's no international disagreement. Uh, That's what they're trying to do. And so we think it would be ill-advised to proceed with such an investment. I have met over the last six to seven weeks with several CEOs of major European and American oil companies, And our advice to them is don't make long-term investments in Iran. It's not a good credit risk. You're you're beginning to see international banks constrict or end lending altogether. You have UN Chapter 7 resolutions. Of 192 countries in the UN, only 11 are under Chapter 7 sanctions. Iran's one of them. And I think finally the U.S. Senate and House are considering legislation uh, that would uh, exact exact severe penalties on any company in the world that proceeds with major oil and gas deals. Now, uh, our administration has said that we don't support this legislation in full, but we don't make the laws. Uh, Congress makes the laws. Congress is speaking very clearly that they want to uh, send a clear signal that, that companies should not invest in the oil and gas sector. So I think in all ways this Austrian deal is, is extremely ill-advised and, and should be reconsidered. We have time for just one. Fitz, quick. Yeah, yeah please. Um, excuse me, I'm trying to be. Uh, actually, I think you pretty much answered the technical question.
Iranian fighter. So if there is not going to be um, any sign of Iran to come back at the negotiating table um, until the 25th of May, uh, you're saying that there is go definitely going to be another uh, UN resolution, a third one, uh, in June. Yeah. Uh, is this something you already kind of agreed with uh, the other five? Well, we have agreed that there must be, yes, we have agreed, we agreed last week in London, that should the Iranian government not agree to negotiations, then we will all push for a third resolution. And that is, that is explicit in the, in the 1747, the resolution of March 21st. We will seek further measures, measures is the UN word for sanctions, should Iran not comply. Now, I don't think there's anything magical, magical about May 24th. The 60 days runs out then. But, you know, if Solana needed a day or two or three or four or more, we're not going to quibble. We support Solana. He's representing us. He's representing all of us, all six of us. And we want to make, you know, we want to make it uh, possible for Solana to succeed. But I think we'll know by the first part of June whether or not the Iranians are going to say yes. And Solana will know and he'll report to us. And, and certainly by the uh, G8 summit here in Germany, it'll be abundantly clear whether Iran has said yes or no. If they've said no, then I think we're going to see, I know we'll see, a major effort in New York towards a third sanctions resolution. By the way, that's not our preference. We don't seek to be punitive just to be punitive. We'd rather have negotiations. Uh, Secretary Rice said this last week in Sharm el-Sheikh. She said it Monday at the State Department. We want negotiations. I, here, here's a way to think about this issue. It's been 28 years since the United States had any kind of discussions with the government of Iran on any subject. And now you have the United States government reaching out in two respects. Last week at Sharm el-Sheikh, our ambassador to Iraq, Ryan Crocker, sat down with the Iranian deputy foreign minister and talked about uh, Iraq, which we initiated. And, and there may be further discussions in that channel. Now we're also trying to create a second channel on the nuclear issue of negotiations, and Secretary Rice has said that she will personally be there. So for the Iranians, I hope that the Iranians understand this is the first time in 28 years that the United States has offered negotiations at such a high level. And we do believe that negotiations are a far better way to proceed internationally than military confrontation. And so Iran, we would think, should find it in its interest with Solana to find a way forward. And Solana has been, he's a very creative diplomat. And we've given him our full trust over the next several weeks to negotiate with Larajani. And we're just all waiting for a response. And we're puzzled that the Iranians seem so ambivalent about this. Okay. I'm sorry we're out of time. Thank you, everyone, for coming. Secretary, thank you. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Chris, great to see you. Yes, sir.